Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation. Glad to have you with me. It is six after the hour. Let's get going. Uh, so I've debated on whether or not to, to dive in here, but it, it's one of the most talked about articles on social media. So I feel like it's newsy enough. I'm kind of tired of this topic, but it's relevant in other angles. There is, and I got to give credit to the Washington Post for publishing this uh, opinion piece, Voices it's, it's from their Voices Across America segment. Uh, the headline is, What I Wish I'd Known When I Was 19 and Had Sex Reassignment Surgery by uh, a guy named Coriana Cohen, uh, who has transitioned to be a uh, female, is an officer in the Gender Care Consumer Advocacy Network, and he writes, when I was 19, I had surgery for sex reassignment, or what is now called gender affirmation surgery. The callow young man who was obsessed with transitioning to womanhood could not have imagined reaching middle age. But now I'm closer to 50, keeping a watchful eye on my 401k and dieting and exercising in hope that I'll have a healthy retirement. In terms of my priorities and interests today, that younger incarnation of myself might as well have been a different person. Yet that was the person who committed me to a lifetime set apart from my peers. And goes on, it's it's kind of sad, honestly. And essentially, he says that he'll be a medical patient for the rest of his life as a result of what he did. He shut his parents out. And this is his point. Um, and I, I need to, I, I need you to, to, I got to read some of this and it really is gut wrenching. And just so you have a sense of this, I once believed that I would be more successful finding love as a woman than as a man. But in truth, few straight men are interested in having a physical relationship with a person who was born the same sex as them. In high school, when I experienced crushes on my male classmates, I believed that the only way those feelings could be requited was if I altered my body. It turned out several of them were also gay. If I had confessed my interests, what might have developed? Alas, the rampant homophobia in my school during the AIDS crisis smothered such notions. Today, I've resigned myself to never finding a partner. That's tough to admit, but it's the healthiest thing to do. As a teenager, I was repelled by the thought of having biological children. In my visions, I had visions of marrying a man and adopting a child. Now I'm surprised by the pangs I felt as my friends and younger sisters started families. Surgery unshackled me from my body's urges, but the destruction of my gonads introduced a different type of bondage. From the day of my surgery, I became a medical patient and will remain one for the rest of my life. I must choose between the risks of taking exogenous estrogen, which include venous thromboembolism and stroke, or the risks of taking nothing, which includes degeneration of bone health. In either case, my risk of dementia is higher. Where were my parents in all of this? They were aware of what I was doing, but by that point, I'd pushed them out of my life. 
I didn't need parents questioning me or establishing realistic expectations, especially when I found all I needed online. In the early 90s, something called Internet Relay Chat, a rudimentary online forum, allowed me to meet like-minded strangers who offered an inexhaustible source of validation and acceptance. I shudder to think of how distorting today's social media is for confused teenagers. I'm also alarmed by how readily authority figures facilitate transition. I had to persuade two therapists, an endocrinologist, and a surgeon to give me what I wanted. None of them were under crushing professional pressure, as they now would be to affirm my choice. I may well have transitioned even after waiting a few years. If I hadn't transitioned, I likely would have suffered from the world in other ways. In other words, I'm still working out how much regret to feel, but I'm comfortable with the ambiguity. I have this concern more than any other. And I try to be empathetic on this issue as best I can inside certain constraints. But let's just, can, can we be honest outside the contemporary tribal framing of the issue? There are people who fundamentally believe whether you and I agree with them that the only solution to their problem of gender dysphoria is to have radical surgeries to alter their body to conform to who they believe they are. And you and I can disagree, but I'm not in their shoes. You and I can think it's bad, but I'm not going through what they're going through, and neither are you. But I have a real concern about the escalation of this. I have a real concern about the escalation, a, a real concern, uh, as, as this person says in this, that doctors are now under real pressure, schools are under real pressure, teachers are under real pressure to encourage anyone who thinks they're going through it that, yes, you are, and we can help you fulfill it. You have parents who want to give their underage children, even before puberty, sex blockers because the parents themselves are convinced that they're kids are transgender. They don't want them to go through puberty. And oftentimes, oftentimes, it is a lot of maternal pressure. It is more often than not the mother, not the father. And most of the major stories out there, it's not a coincidence, the most vocal proponent of their son becoming a girl is the mom. You get a lot of hate mail when you point that out, but it's the truth. Make sure what's going on with the parent, what's going on with the mom. But there's a larger issue at play here. And this is where I think we got a problem. Uh, the cultural bubble that all of us are in because of progressivism, the cultural zeitgeist of the day is driven by the left. Let's step back from this thorny issue to one of more practical import. One of the reasons we have massive inflation in the world right now is because of energy prices. One of the reasons we have such high energy prices is not Vladimir Putin. It is the war against oil and gas by the left. Major global powers have adopted a progressive worldview on climate change and believe that the world is warming at such a rate that we're all going to die within a decade unless something is done. 
And so all of the major institutions of the Western world are now aligned against an industry that provides us cheap energy to keep prices low. And as a result of that, prices have gone up. It is simply not the case that we can pivot immediately to fully clean energy. We need oil and gas. We need oil and gas. People can't go out and buy electric cars tomorrow. And it disproportionately hurts the poor. But we're in a progressive thought bubble, all of us captured by it on, on these issues, on, on climate change, on, on sexual transitioning. The, the left-wing voices are dominant in culture. You have the, the Disney executives wanting to embrace it. You have public and private school teachers. And by the way, I would actually argue that private schools are worse than public schools on this issue. Because more and more private schools have embraced this idea of privilege more than public schools. Because in public schools, a lot of public schools in a lot of the country are actually majority minority. And it is a... a, a Rich white people view, the 1619 critical theory views, the, the embrace of critical theory tend to be embraced by rich white people who feel guilty for being rich white people. And so it's, it's more dominant in private schools these days. The indoctrination becomes pervasive. And those of us on the right, even those of us with large microphones, are still outnumbered by people in the academy people in public and private schools, people in Hollywood, people in, in public policy making ways where we can call them out and they try to silence us. If I were to go on Twitter and say, you know, I'm, I'm, a man is a man is a man, you can get punished by Twitter. Your account can be shadow banned or you can be turned off altogether. And all you're doing is you're saying the truth. But the liberal thought bubble is so pervasive, we're running civilization off a cliff. They think the world ends in 10 years if we don't stop climate change. I think the world ends in 10 years if we go along with this agenda. It's madness. We saw it in the George after the, the George Floyd riots where if you were anywhere near left of center and you suggested it's not helpful to the Democrats for people to be burning down society in the name of social justice, you could lose your job. It happened to that guy, David Shore, the pollster, who said it. He was right, and he said it, and he lost his job. He wound up landing on his feet, but not everybody does. Not everybody did. When you get inside these thought bubbles, it becomes hard to break out of them. And untold damage can be done. With climate change, people are starving. Prices are going up. People can't make ends meet because this president could unleash American energy, but he declared war on fossil fuels. And for the progressives, let's just say, well, there are 9,000 leases and they haven't used them. If you are an investor in a company that produced oil and gas and the most powerful man on planet Earth said his goal is to end your industry, would you invest any more money in the industry? If the president of the United States and his administration and a Democratic-controlled Congress and regulators were coming after you, would you invest more to get any more out of the ground? Why would you? You'd be insane. It's a bad investment. They're coming for you. The president has said he wants to wipe out your business. So you don't invest any more than you've already got in there. And it slows production. You're not going to use those leases. One, there's all the regulation and the red tape that goes with it. And two, why try to put any more in the ground? Because... 
You're just going to get punished if you do. You're going to be made to be the bad guy. Liberal groupthink has gotten hold of you. The progressives are coming for you. And if you're a doctor, well-placed, well-researched doctor, and you say gender dysphoria is a mental health issue and the solution should not be to encourage, incentivize, or push transition surgeries because the underlying issue is mental, not physical, you're going to be silenced. One of the leading critics of the current uh, orthodoxy on transgenderism was the head of psychiatry for Johns Hopkins University. He was a globally distinguished professor, and he is now largely removed from anything because he actually wrote a detailed report on the study of transgenderism and how it's a psychological issue and uh, gender-conforming surgeries, sex reassignment surgeries, actually don't show a, a major uh, improvement to the mental state of the people who go through it. And he's now largely been silenced, removed even from his, his school because the cultural forces are so strong and they're censorious against anyone who would essentially tell the emperor, you've got no clothes. That's not healthy for society. Now, listen, I'm a conservative. And I think uh, my worldview should be dominant. I think it's right. But I also understand that in the exchange of ideas with the left, I have to refine my ideas and arguments to make them better. And that's part of the problem we have, whether it's climate change or, or sex transitioning or anything the left deals with, is they don't want to refine their ideas and argument with me. They just want to shut me up and they want to shut you up. And that means even they have doubts about their ideas. And the only way to advance their ideas is to be a censor of the rest of us. And that causes all sorts of societal fallout that I, we're starting to see when even the Washington Post gently runs a, an op-ed from someone who transitioned and says, you know, if I were a kid going through this, I would slow the process down and maybe see if I can come to terms with my body before going through it. And by the way, the Washington Post is being excoriated for having the audacity to run the story, an opinion piece from someone who went through this because the left doesn't want to compete anymore in the battle of ideas. They've decided their ideas are definitive and there's no such thing as permanence in politics or policy. And that societal fallout is going to be terrible because of this unless we are willing to stand up and push back. Do you know when I started out and could get nice quality sheets, I just thought I'm going to get a high thread count sheet. And if I get a high thread count sheet, it's going to be a really good sheet. Boy, did I learn that's not true. It's a myth. Boland Branch, however, uses the best 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth for superior softness and a better night's sleep. You can get a really good high thread count sheet, but if the underlying sheet is, well, crap, um, it's not going to work for you. Bolin Branch, however, my gosh, their sheets aren't just buttery, breathable, and impossibly soft to start, but they have the sign, the number one sign of a really good sheet. The more you wash them, the softer they get over time, and they don't tear up. They just get soft. It's perfect. You can try Bowl and Branch. They're the highest quality threads on earth for superior softness and a better night's sleep. They're th so luxurious. They're beloved by three United States presidents. And they've got over 10,000 stellar reviews. I'm one of them. I love my Bowl and Branch sheets. You can feel the difference the moment they come out of the bag and every wash. It's just, man, they just transition to softer and softer. They're fantastic. Right now, get 20% off site-wide April 11th through 17th 
only at boldenbranch.com. That's boldenbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com for 20% off site-wide April 11th to April 17th, boldenbranch.com. This hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, they can help your business become an even bigger business. If you need access to loans, $750,000 and up, they want to help you. You need to build a building or buy a building, something creative like that. Well, reach out. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. FirstLibertyGA.com is the website. They can help you. All right, we got to move on to other stuff because there's a lot else happening out there. Have y'all heard this bizarre story about the Secret Service arrests? Uh, the the Justice Department has screwed up this case pretty royally. I'm actually reading from Talking Points Memo, which is a left of center site, you should know. But they, they, this is a just a mind-boggling story here. And they've got some of the newer details that haven't made it to the wires yet. Before federal agents stormed a luxury apartment building in D.C. last week, the suspects, accused of impersonating federal agents, already knew they were under investigation. They had been tipped off by the Secret Service two days earlier. The misstep by the government has gotten its case off on the wrong foot, rushing prosecutors into a series of embarrassing errors and miscues. Under the gun by an error of the government's doing, prosecutors have been scrambling to recover. It hasn't been pretty. They've misstated facts about the case in open court and in written filings. Public defenders for the accused have pounced, with one accusing the government of impersonating this case as a national security threat. With its investigation still ongoing and the raid rushed by the tip-off from the Secret Service, the Justice Department didn't have all of its ducks in a row before going to court, a rare departure from the usual methodological and laborious preparation of a federal criminal case. As a result, with the Justice Department not publicly offering an overarching theory of the case that explains the motives for or purchase of the purpose of the alleged scheme, speculation has run wild. Some have suggested the duo were plotting some form of terror attack, while others pointed to breaching equipment found in the apartments and inferred that their aim was a kidnapping. Others looked to Ali's purported travel and saw the hand of Iranian intelligence. Now, for those of you who have no idea what the story is about, two people, turns out, were uh, purportedly posing as Secret Service agents, and they weren't. Now, the latest speculation is they were trying to embed within the Secret Service as agents of the Secret Service in order to kill or kidnap John Bolton, the former ambassador and national security advisor. Two days after the Secret Service alerted Arian Tahrzadeh to the fact that there was an investigation, the FBI stormed the Navy Yard building where he and Hader Ali allegedly impersonated federal agents and stored firearms. Prosecutors accused the pair in court of filings of undertaking a scheme to infiltrate and compromise the Secret Service. The initial facts appeared dramatic and sinister. The duo were accused of giving gifts to Secret Service agents, including a $2,000 AR-15 and free apartments. Ali, one witness reportedly said, had bragged of his ties to the ISI, Pakistan's Foreign Intelligence Service. Initially, some of the prosecutors' missteps appeared minor. But then it turns out a lot of that that they claim doesn't have any truth to it. The whole thing is very weird, and it looks like the Justice Department has screwed up yet another major case. 
along with the FBI. This is like the case of Gretchen Whitmer up in Michigan, where the FBI claimed there was an attack by militia designed to kidnap the governor. And three of the four defendants have been found not guilty, and one was a hung jury. Their entire case didn't add up. At some point, someone somewhere, I know this is a crazy idea, but maybe we need to elect a president who just cleans up the government, lets everything else sort itself out, but cleans up the bureaucracy. Hi there. It's me. It's Eric. Glad you're with me. The phone number. Well, so you can't actually call in now. My call screener has had to go take a call for me that I don't have the bandwidth to do, which means you can't call him to get on the show, which is great because now I can talk about the stuff that he's distracted by and he doesn't like me talking about it and I want to talk about it. <laughs> it's my show. You'd be amazed at the number of people say, yeah, you should talk. But listen, if I run the show into the ground, at least my hands are on the controls. <laughs> I want to talk about streaming services. We, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but... I've been thinking about this more and more, particularly the CNN uh, Plus story. I mentioned in the last hour, there are already going to be a bunch of layoffs. I don't know. Well, I mean, it was Jeff Zucker at CNN who has had a habit of running things into the ground and then landing on his feet. It's, it's one of the most bizarre career stories out there, how successful the guy is at screwing things up. But I, I don't know who thought anyone would want to watch a CNN streaming service to pay extra for a CNN streaming service. Very few people watch CNN right now. It's the number three news network in the country, unless there are major events. Like, for example, when the Ukraine war broke out, everybody jumped to CNN because they do have an amazing factual, fact-based reporting around the world. But when it comes to domestic politics, I mean, you, you think of the Don Lemons and the Chris Cuomo's of the world, even though he's not there anymore. And the level of partisanship at CNN, and the frustrating part is they don't even recognize that they've got that level of partisanship. There's actually a story out. Um, so uh, what's his name? Brian Stelter on CNN had on uh, the co-author of a new study. So uh, David Brookman and Joshua Kalla, they're professors at the University of California at, at Berkeley and at Yale University, they organized experience. They they paid Fox News viewers $15 an hour to switch from Fox News to CNN for seven hours a day. And they actually changed some of their opinions on news stories by watching CNN. Now, here's the funny part. Um, so the, they said, oh, wow, I had no idea. I didn't know all this because Fox News wasn't telling me. Uh, Brookman said on Sundays, reliable sources. You call this partisan content filtering, Brian Selter asked Kala, and basically you're proving what we've sensed for a while, which is that Fox viewers are in the dark about bad news for the GOP. Kala confirmed that Fox News coverage model, but put a stop to the victory lap. This is him, Kala, one of the co-authors of the study. On the flip side, CNN engages in this partisan coverage filtering as well as that we find. For example, during this time, the Abraham Accords were signed, and these were the agreements where Israel, the UAE, and Bahrain signed a major peace agreement. And we see that Fox News covered this really major accomplishment about 15 times more than CNN did. So we established both networks are really engaged in this partisan coverage filtering. It's not just about one side. It's about the media at large. And, of course, Brad Sellers, whoa, what? No. You, you can't say it's both siderisms. Actually, 
they've got the numbers to back it up. They showed that Fox News covered the story way more than CNN. And also, CNN largely buried the story about Nancy Pelosi's rule-breaking visits to the San Francisco salon during COVID. What we're showing is that CNN does engage partisan coverage filtering. They should be aware of that and can do better as the network. And, of course, Brian Selter was upset that they dared to, to point out that CNN does exactly what Fox does. And this is part of the problem at CNN. There's a lack of self-awareness about its partisan habits and how it, it covers stories. But there's this larger issue of, of streaming services now. So CNN wants to have CNN Plus, and I don't know anyone who's going to want to pay for CNN Plus. But Fox is Fox Nation. You've got HBO Max. You've got Apple TV Plus, which is terrible branding. You got Netflix, which is starting to have some trouble. You've got uh, what else is there? Disney Plus. You got the Peacock, which is NBC streaming service. Paramount Plus, which is the CBS service. You've got Newsmax uh, has a streaming service. Uh, what else? OAN has a streaming service, a lot of the conservative news outlets. You've got the Discovery Service that's either there or coming. We're going to go bankrupt 10 bucks at a time. You know, it, people don't like cable packages. They don't like them uh, because they feel like they're paying for a bunch of stuff they never watch. But aren't you doing the same thing with all of these other services? Like, I know a lot of people like, oh, what's the show? Yellowstone. I, I have not seen an episode of Yellowstone. I suppose I need to watch it. Um, I don't watch a ton of TV that much anymore, unless it's sports, which is a real role reversal for me. All my friends are, are just flabbergasted at how much sports I watch and, and don't watch anything else these days. No, I will watch stuff. Uh, like, I started watching the Halo series on, on Paramount because I like to play the video game. Uh, I, the, the, uh, Reacher on Amazon prime, if you're a grown up, not for kids, it is not kid friendly, but you want a good detective series Reacher, go watch that on Amazon prime, Apple TV plus, I think has a ton of good stuff on it, but I just, if I sit down and I've got a long time, I'm just so busy now. I don't watch it, but I, I monitor my spending patterns on this stuff. We don't pay for Hulu. That's about the only streaming service we don't have in the house. I've also got a cable TV package. And because a lot of the services you got to put in that, oh, you got DirecTV here, we'll give you access to all this other stuff. It makes no sense to me. Now, I realize we are in uh, early times of this. It is still sorting itself out. Maybe Apple or someone will come along and kind of compile it all some way visually. Apple tries and it sucks. I'm a big Apple fan. I'm in the Apple cult. When I go to New York, I walk seven times around the cube, pray to Steve Jobs. I am totally in the cult. But I got to tell you, their Apple TV interface sucks. And I would like to think that someone could do better. You know, Netflix, part of the problem is Netflix refuses to integrate with anyone. So, for example, with, with the Apple TV Plus interface, I can see all the latest and greatest from all the streaming services. When So Disney Plus has an Obi-Wan Kenobi series coming out. I'm going to watch it. I know I should be canceling Disney and stuff, but I'm, I'm going to watch the Obi-Wan Kenobi. Then maybe I'll cancel. But... It'll appear in the Apple TV um, menu on their on their TV app, and so all the latest sports, any any sports game that's on it shows happening right now. I can see the Braves are playing, or the Cubs are playing, the two teams I like to keep up with, or or the Gold Knights at the hockey teams playing, and it'll give me a little pop up on my phone and on my Apple TV box saying, "Happening right now? Do you want to go watch it live?" I'll I'll do that. 
and it works okay. It's just the interface is just very cluttered. But then Netflix refuses to play nice with anybody's service. So if I want to find out what's on Netflix, I have to go into Netflix. And I rarely these days go to Netflix. There's not as much stuff there as there once was that I want to watch until the good documentaries come back. You know, that's one of the problems with all the TV services these days is COVID uh, killed it all. Uh, There is a great show on Netflix. If you have Netflix, somebody feed Phil. You can't help but like that guy. I want to hang out with that guy and eat. He's one of the creators of Everybody Loves Raymond. I love that show. And they can't produce new episodes because of COVID. Or uh, Chef's Table, which is the most, when I grow up and I change careers because I failed at talk radio, I want to be a cinematographer like they have on Chef's Table. It's gorgeous. It's just mind-bogglingly beautiful how they filmed that show. And I would love to do that. I am a terrible photographer. So, you know, the rec tech guys, they asked me if I would participate in their um, in their March Madness. They were doing a cook-off, and I lost in the first round. I am horrible at taking pictures of it. You know, I can take really, really good, like objectively good landscape photography. I am really good at it. And y'all, I'm not kidding. I'm really good at landscape photography. When it comes to taking pictures of my food, I take a lot of them and I'm garbage. I look at some of the pictures people do. I don't have time to stage that stuff. I want to go eat it. I don't understand. Here, let let me have my plate and adjust the lighting. Just, oh, let me get my hand in there with a knife. I'm looking at a picture right now from Rectech. As a matter of fact, oh, it's perfectly the ribs are just out of focus, coming into focus right where the knife is. It's perfect. The lighting is, I don't have time to do that. I want to go eat the freaking ribs. They're going to be cold by the time I stage the photography. I'm terrible at taking that those photos. But nonetheless, I completely digress from all of that. Now I should move on before Charlie gets mad at me for doing this. Oh, the other one, um, actually, and the Paramount Plus, they got all the new Star Trek stuff, and they're all garbage. I don't know what, these people went woke, and they just broke the franchise. It was very disappointing. All right, now I will move on to other things. I promise. I want to move back to raw politics, something I've tried to get away from and need to come back to. What are the impacts that we are seeing objectively so? and we should be intellectually honest here, is Ukraine is causing problems in the world. There are a couple of problems you need to know about. One is fertilizer. The shortage, so Russia stopped selling fertilizer to the United States. That's been a while back. But then between government regulations of products within fertilizer and global shortages of fertilizer, we're going to have food problems, even in this country. Worse than that, you know, Ukraine is the breadbasket for most of the world. I want to say two-thirds of the wheat imported into the Middle East comes from Ukraine. Guess whose fields haven't been planted? Can, Can you guess why none of the fields have been planted? The Russians have been laying landmines in the fields. This is going to start to hurt worse than it is right now. Now, you know, I need to get um, Dave Nicholas on here, uh, financial advisor, to talk about this. He goes on Fox all the time. He's local uh, to me in Atlanta, a friend of mine, uh, using for some work. And talk about this issue because I don't know that people appreciate right now, you appreciate 
that if you can start paying off your debts as best you can, you probably are going to be better off. And a lot of this is outside of Joe Biden's hands. And, you know, I, I, I at, at a personal nonpartisan level, I always kind of feel bad for the presidents of the United States, whichever party they're in, because the world goes to hell in a handbasket and they get blamed in the polling, whether they had something to do with it or not. And to some degree, if we're fair and intellectually honest, some of the food pricing stuff that's out there right now, Biden can't control because of the war with Ukraine. That is, to some degree, Putin's problem. However, however, prices were going up before the invasion. Gas prices were up before the invasion. Food prices were up before the invasion. The supply chain problems existed before the invasion. And Joe Biden was trying to take credit, saying he could fix it. And for a while there, remember, was saying that uh, not just that inflation was temporary, but it was also a good thing that it was going to force pay raises. So the pay raises came, but the pay raises are less than the rate of inflation. So real take-home pay is down. And that has real-world effects on people's ability to not just buy stuff, but pay off debts. We're headed towards a financial problem in this country. We're headed towards a recession. I don't know that it'll happen this year. It may very well happen this year. I suspect it's going to happen next year. Normally, when the Fed starts raising rates, it's about a year out. And so that would put it next year, this time next year, headed into the fall of next year, headed into the re-election cycle for the Democrats. I would not be surprised for Joe Biden to announce he's not going to run again, given all of this. Do a fresh start. Part of me wonders if the election is really brutal in November, does Biden just say, hey, the Democrats need a head start to get ready for 2024, so I'm going to resign? I don't know that he will. I mean, he's the president of the United States. He's wanted this forever. But I can, I'm can. i starting to see the headwinds are so strong against the Democrats. The best thing for them probably would be for Biden to say, no, I'm going to tap out now over to you, Kamala, give you a head start so you can consolidate the Democratic base. I don't know that that'll work. I don't know that he'll do it. But for the first time in a long time, I'm starting to think it kind of would make sense for him if he really views Donald Trump as the existential threat he does. Maybe he needs to step aside after the election and give Kamala uh, a two-year runway in which to build up a campaign and consolidate the Democrats because Pete Buttigieg is going to fight her for it. Unless she is the incumbent president headed into the election, Pete Buttigieg, he is one of the most ambitious politicians I have seen in a long time, and he will fight her for the Democratic nomination. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if she, if Biden were to step aside so she could become president, she keeps Buttigieg in that position as transportation secretary, marginalizes him so he can't. But if she's running as vice president and him as treasury secretary, he's not going to, or as transportation secretary, he's not going to care. They got to do something because if Biden really does believe that Donald Trump is the existential threat Biden claims he is, then Biden himself is making it more likely for Trump to come back. Now, what I don't want to come back are stinky odors in your house. The best way to do that is to get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. It is a small package that packs a wallop. You can plug it directly into your wall or you can use a USB cord and plug it in your car. And it'll eliminate odors. In fact, uh, someone who shall remain nameless had cigar smoke in his truck. It wasn't me, I promise. And he didn't realize it would stink so bad. So I put the Eden Pure Thunderstorm in his truck and we plugged it in with USB cable. He had one of those cigarette lighter outlets and we plugged the USB cable in one side and into the Eden Pure Thunderstorm in the other. And we just let it run for 30 minutes and it wiped out the cigar smoke. 
That's how good it works. And it works for you. You get three of them right now for less than $200. All you do is go to EdenPureDeals.com, EdenPureDeals.com, and you use the discount code ERIC3. In fact, you'll see the big window on the front of the website, and it'll say, ask your discount code. You put in ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, 3, ERIC3. And it'll take you to the special page for the Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack where you get three of them. You save $200. You get them all for less than $200, and you get free shipping. It's EdenPureDeals.com. You get three of them, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for your basement or your RV or or to use in, in your cigar-smelling cars. Or you, you've got smoky odors. You've got pet odors. It works great with pet odors and fry odors in your kitchen. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. For those of you who lost my precious voice for some time, uh, I, apparently the entire satellite system went down um, well outside my control, but I got to take responsibility for it because it's the satellite system I use for now. Uh, my goodness, I hate that. Um, pollsters are starting to warn Democrats that their problems are irreversible for this year. You rarely hear that. You know, there's always a sense of hope. But as I've been telling you guys, it's the hope that kills you. There always tends to be a sense of hope out there. But when you have pollsters now starting to tell Democrats it's over with, here's the problem. There, There are only two things the Democrats can do. One is to try to vilify the Republicans as best they can. And the other is to play up January 6th to vilify the Republicans as best they can. That's their only option at this point. If if you're being told that you're doomed, there's nothing you can do. The only strategy in politics that works when your pollsters are telling you you're doomed is to try to vilify the other side as much as possible so that at the end of the day, voters are hesitant to actually cast the vote against you, thinking, well, maybe the other guys will make it will make it worse. So my prediction to you is that over the next several months, we're going to see uh, massive news coverage of the January 6th committee, more than we've seen to date. We're going to see massive opposition research dumps on all the Republican candidates which means the Republicans need to absolutely at all times now be on their A game because the Democrats are going to use the media to come after them. The media is emotionally, overall, by and large, emotionally invested in the idea that the Republicans are the death of democracy in this country. And so what they're going to do is they're going to further kill off democracy by going after the GOP. It's, I, I, it is foreseeable. I guarantee it's going to happen, and this is a, a great, great problem to face the GOP, but it's a good problem to have because it means you're winning, and the Democrats know it, and the inflation number today, 8.5%, the highest since 1981, is just going to further undermine the Democrats when it comes to November. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can 
So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.